Welcome to episode 351 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. Got another great one for you this week because James Durbin is here. James has a brand new album that came out this past week with a brand new band, which if you're not familiar with it yet, that's why we're here to talk about it. I'm going to mention it here, talk a little bit about it here in a bit, and of course James is going to come on here and talk a lot about it. We're also going to, of course, talk about a lot of his past stuff. Solo album, or his namesake album from a couple years ago, his time he spent on American Idol, and a lot of other stuff in between. I've also got some pretty big news in the hard rock and metal world that just transpired this week. So, of course, got to talk about that as well. But first, as always, our sponsors. Med Farm is a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. Right off the highway, they've got a large selection. You can see it all at leafly.com. You can call, text, or email ahead and place your order, and then all you got to do is go through their drive-thru. That's a feature that a lot of dispensaries don't have, so that's kind of a pretty cool option there. They're also open super, super late. You can find great specials on their socials all the time. MedFarmOK on Instagram, that's with a P-H. They're also on Facebook, MedFarm, P-H-A-R-M. The website is MedFarmOK.com. They're always running specials on there, but a special that is always ongoing is if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order, which is very cool. And on top of all of this, they're cannabis with a cause. 30% of their proceeds go to build no-kill animal shelters. You can't beat that. That is an excellent thing that most businesses don't offer. A third of Nearly a third of their profits at all times are going to a great cause. So make that one of your reasons to head over to MedFarm get your discount when you mention Thunder Underground and help out the animals. Huge thank you to MedFarm. We've also got Sunset Tattoo. It's a tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa. The tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. Most importantly, they're mother approved. 25 plus years of experience. You can see tons of photos, pictures of all the work from throughout recent stuff throughout the years on Facebook and Instagram, Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. If you call, text, or email ahead, you can set up a time to get in there and talk to Jake about what work you are looking to have done. I've had work done by Jake. I'm very happy with it. I know many other people that have as well. I'll be back there soon enough. So get on there and check out all that stuff. Check out the great work that he does and tell him you heard about him on Thunder Underground. Finally, we've got DEB Concerts, a promoter based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that has brought a plethora of great hard rock acts to Tulsa. Also, several big-time rap artists as well. Recently, they had Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube two nights in a row at the BOK Arena, sold out. Big-time stuff. They also had the Metal Tour of the Year at the BOK Center a couple months ago. And now coming up at the BOK Center on August 20th will be the return of Poison to Tulsa. Poison, all four original members, off date of the metal, or the stadium tour. That show will also feature Tom Kiefer of Cinderella and LA Guns. All three great live acts. I say that with a uh, full, uh, what's the right word? Confidence because I've seen all three of those acts many, many times throughout the years. You can't go wrong with any of it. So, BOKCenter.com to get tickets, DEBConcerts.com for info, and any future updates that we, of course, bring you here. And also, DEB Concerts books the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every year. That stage is one of the three main stages at Rocklahoma. This year, Rocklahoma happens Labor Day weekend, the first weekend of September, so it's coming up here in just a couple months. That stage will feature Quiet Riot, Enough's Enough, Slaughter. Slaughter was recently announced, added to the bill this past week because Doro Pesh has dropped out of the bill, which is a major blow to me. I'm sure there's a few other people as well. Um... I was definitely, that was the number one thing at Rocklahoma I was looking forward to. But if you're replacing her with Slaughter, that's not a bad thing. I absolutely love Slaughter. 
and Mark Slaughter has been on this podcast before, so check that one out. So all that Rocklahoma DB concerts, follow him on all the socials, and tell him you heard about him here. All right, first up, just a couple of days ago, Nita Strauss announced that she was, and it, it was a very weird announcement. It was an announcement saying that she was backing or stepping away from Alice Cooper Band for the fall tour and canceling all her current solo dates. She was also still has a few scheduled currently, but any fall stuff she canceled. The statement then went on to say, at the end of it, thanking Alice Cooper for eight years or however long it's been, you know, of great times, all that great stuff. So it went from saying I'm stepping out of this tour to make, making it sound like, you know, I'm stepping away for good. And, you know, a lot of the headlines, Nita steps away to, you know, and some of them were, Nita Strauss leaves Alice Cooper. So it's it's hard to really say because it it wasn't like 100% concrete that she's done for good, but I'm guessing that's the case. And as soon as it was announced, there was speculation as to why. And the first assumption I had was she just got an offer from a mega pop star or from another band that it doesn't even have to be someone that is, you know, because there's not very many people out there anyway There is that have the the clout that comes along with Alice Cooper. But the difference between another band that may be a little bit smaller than Alice Cooper is that you know, there's more longevity through her, for her in her career, and she could, you know, be a more integral member as far as the writing process and the direction. You know, when you're in the Alice Cooper band, sure, he probably co-writes stuff with some of his band members at times, but you know that all those decisions and all that direction, and of course the stage show is the main thing you got on a live aspect. Anyway, with all that being said, you know, you already saw people bitching about, you know, I can't believe she's leaving Alice Cooper because the big rumor that came out pretty quick was that Demi Lovato was who she was going to join. And of course, people are just so up in arms about this, they can't believe it, that someone would, you know, that plays hard rock or metal would go and join a pop star, you know, you know, the horror of someone making more money and selling out, you know, because they want to have a comfortable living doing what they do. And I can't believe they would, wouldn't do it in the rock world anymore. You know, but you know, people, it's, you know, these people are douchebags. That's, that's the end of the story. You know, of course I would love her to be an Alice Cooper or whatever. I mean, she's an, a great guitarist, but at the end of the day, Alice Cooper has always been a revolving door. I mean, this band that he has right now has actually been consistent now for many, many years, the band members that are there, but it's always been a revolving door, and he's always made statements about how he encourages band members to go on to other things, whether it be with another artist or doing their own thing. And Nita Strauss, no matter who she joins, is still going to release her solo music. And, you know, people are crying about this. I mean, what about Monty Pittman? I mean, the guy is the guitarist for one of the, if not the biggest pop star in the world. You know, maybe not anymore, but the most notorious pop star in the world, Madonna that is still active. He's been her guitarist for now like 20 years, but he still go, he still releases his solo music, which is heavy metal, and he still plays solo gigs. Nuno Betancourt still plays with Extreme, still does stuff like Generation, Generation Axe that he did with Zach Wilde and Steve Vai and Yngwie Malmsteen, but he's been Rihanna's guitarist for probably a decade now. Why? Because he makes a shitload of money doing it. You know, and the other thing is, I've seen Madonna live with Monty Pittman. And he's not hidden in the background. You know, he's out there doing his thing. There's even points of the show where the two of them are side by side. You know, there's points of the show where he's playing solos. So that's the same thing that's, you know, I would assume is going to happen with Nita Strauss. If it's Demi Lovato or if it's someone else. You know, some more power to her for making a decision and doing something like that. And it was already announced, you know, the next day, which was yesterday, that Kane Roberts is returning. And he hasn't been with Alice Cooper since the 90s, I believe. I'm not exactly sure on the timeline, but I know it's the early 90s, I think. You know, it's pretty cool to, you know, bring someone back. And Alice even said in the press release that he's always 
you know, said that band members are welcome back when the spot's there, that kind of thing. You know, Kane Roberts has had a long career of, you know, he's got a lot of solo music, but he's had a long career writing with people. So I'm sure he's been able to, you know, support himself very well throughout the years. But coming back to Alice Cooper is a, you know, pretty big thing on the exposure level. So that's very cool to have Kane Roberts and Ryan Roxy together. You know, that's just like it was badass with Ryan Roxy and Nita Strauss. So Ryan Roxy is a highly underrated guitarist, in my opinion, but that's a side story for another day. Maybe Nita Strauss left so she could join Pantera. There's my segue into the next thing I'm going to talk about. I highly doubt that's the case because why would she cancel stuff this fall for something that's going to happen in 2023? You know, take that as the joke that it is, which, hey, I would be more than happy. I would be more than fine with her on that. So here's the next thing metal fans are up in arms about. Actually, I've clicked on the comments on a lot of stuff when this news broke yesterday. And it's actually been a little, it's been about 50-50, you know, from the stuff I've read. That's a small microcosm of people, though, you know, but still... Of course, there are all the people that are like, oh, this ain't Pantera without Dimebag and Vinny. Fuck Phil. You know, fuck all this, you know. And I'm as big a Pantera fan as the next guy. I've spoken about that many times throughout the years. Me and Jason are both diehard fans. I've got a Pantera tattoo on my arm, you know. So I think that says that I'm a pretty decent-sized fan. So this could go either way, right? I could be saying, fuck this idea or this idea is great. But I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to leave it up to you. No, that's bullshit. Here's my take on it. I'm 100% okay with it. Because I've been, I've said this before in the past, actually. Me and Jason had talked about it on episodes before. Because the rumor has always been there. You know, well, the rumor was there well before Vinny passed. That the three of them would do something with Zach Wilde. And that was always shot down. And then Vinny passed. And then there's still been rumors since that something would happen. And I've always firmly believed that something would happen. So when this was announced, sure, it's kind of surprising just to come out of the blue, you know, on a random day in July. But it didn't shock me in the least. Okay, this is finally happening. My thought process, process is like it is with most things. Like when people bitch about Alice in Chains or something. You know, these guys... When a band member dies, I know there's a few instances where it's someone's irreplaceable, you know. I don't expect, I would be purely shocked and probably pass out if Typo Negative announced tomorrow, hey, we're going on tour. You know, there's certain bands where it doesn't make sense to replace someone. Megadeth, if Dave Mustaine passed tomorrow, two years from now, do you think that's going to happen 99.99% sure it's not going to but Pantera you know kind of falls into that category because of how revered Dimebag and Vinny are they technically started this band before Phil and Rex joined Rex joined pretty shortly but then they made what four albums before Phil came along or no three and then Phil joined them on the fourth album and then with the fifth album, the major label debut, Cowboys from Hell, is where the rest of the world found out about him. So sure, this is this was their band. But the Pantera that everybody knows and loves is Cowboys from Hell through reinventing, reinventing the steel. And that's Dimebag, Vinny, Phil, and Rex. Half of those guys are still living. They have every much of a right to go out and play this music. And in fact, they have over the past couple years, or actually right before the pandemic, right? Phil started actually a few years ago. You know, for years, Phil never played, sang a Pantera song, and he started throwing in one or two songs here or there during his solo stuff and then with Superjoint. And then Phil and Somo and the Illegals tour, and he. Changed it to where half the set was Pantera songs. And then that eventually moved into the Phil and Somo and the Illegals 
a vulgar display of Pantera performance, which was basically Phil and his solo band playing a set full of Pantera songs. And they did this, you know, on their own and then at a bunch of festivals. And they did it opening for Slayer. And sure, maybe that's the way to do it. And I know a lot of people think that way. But I do believe that Phil and Rex have the, they obviously have the legal right to use the name Pantera. And I believe that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what I think or some random person thinks, whether they do or not. You have the legal right to do it, do it. You know, they were just as much a part of that band as Dimebag and Vinny were. And I know everybody's got a million different views on all four of these guys. But there's so many bands out there that tour around, which I understand we're talking about different genres, but like Foreigner tours around with no original members at times. There's times where Mick isn't even there, the guitarist. And Foghat, I think, I'm pretty sure doesn't have an original member left. I know there's... A few other bands. Then you've got a band like Boston where all they've got is the lead guitarist. I mean, he is Boston besides Brad Delt, but still, it's one guy. Journey. They are now down to one guy. Because Russ Valerie and Steve Smith were fired a couple years ago. And sure, I get it. It's a totally different genre, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, you, you've got so many times where people sit there and whine and bitch about a band like Queensryche. Or a band like Warrant. Warrant has all of their original members except the the vocalist. And obviously, you know, he's passed away. But they had the guy they have now, Robert Mason, before he passed away. And people bitch and say, it's not Warrant, blah, blah, blah. Okay? It's not Queensryche because it's not Jeff Tate, blah, blah, blah. And there's Great White. It's not Great White because Jack Russell's not there. Okay, that's your opinion. That's great. But now it's not Pantera because the singer is there and other guys aren't. You know, so it's kind of, and I understand every situation is different, but it's like people get so hypocritical about all these things where it's only just whatever your opinion is, is the way it should be. You know, I'm the same way. I bitch, you know, I say all this and then I was bitching about Black Sabbath performing without Bill Ward because, but that's a different situation kind of in a way because the guy's still alive. You know, this is two guys performing and the other two guys can't be there, you know. So sure, you know, maybe let it rest. You know, we had the memories. There's a whole generation, what, almost two generations now, people that never got to see Pantera. You know, I was fortunate enough to see them seven, six, seven times, all that. But, of course, like I mentioned Jason earlier, me and him, you know, he's not on the show, but we're still good friends and we still talk all the time. And, of course, once this happened, we're messaging each other. So I wanted to read you what Jason messaged me, which is kind of similar to what I was saying about, you know, people not thinking the name should be there, but I thought he had a, a great take on it where Jason said that, he said, this is all just my first take opinion, but I really hope they call it anything other than Pantera, like a vulgar display of Pantera like Phil did, or call it something like fucking hostile, or even just, you know, Phil and Rex present a Pantera tribute. Just don't call it Pantera for God's sakes. Also, have a revolving door of musicians for the other two guys. Some for this leg, two guys for that leg, so on and so forth. Get big names from the metal world, but keep the focus on Phil and Rex and don't make people believe that one single lineup is the thing. And I'm like, that's an interesting take. You know, I'd be totally down with that if they toured this and it's like, okay, we're playing these 10 dates with Dave Lombardo and Zach Wilde. Then we're playing these 10 dates with Kerry King and Mike Portnoy. We can't have Kerry King and Dave Lombardo on the same 10 dates, right? You know, you know, just so on and so forth. You know, I mean, that would be a really cool idea, I think. And uh, then Jason also kind of went on to said, you know, just keep it really simple, of course. Bass, drums, one guitar, no double guitars or anything, since that's not what Pantera was. And then he named off guys like 
like I just said, Kerry King, Kerry King, Zach Wild, Gene Hoagland, Paul Bostoff, Phil Dimmel. Phil Dimmel, of course, because he has now filled in for 72 different metal bands in the last six years, so he could easily do this. And I would love it, because I absolutely love Phil Dimmel. But so, yeah, with all that being said, Jason probably makes a better point than I do. I just don't, it just doesn't bother me if they go out and tour as Pantera, because I really don't think they're going to call it something different. Phil's already done that. Because if they announce this, and then next year they're like, here's Phil and Rex in a band called Far Beyond Driven. Sure. All us metalheads that love Pantera are going to go check it out. Some people might not out of protest, which is totally fine. But if they call this thing Pantera, then every single stop is not just online news. It's actual news. I mean, I'm not talking like the local news is going to be like out there covering it, but I just mean like it's a bigger deal just because of a name. And that's why so many people use names even whenever you think they shouldn't. Like when Quiet Riot, well, there's another one, you know, that I could have mentioned earlier that is touring now with no original members. But when they were touring with Frankie Benali, he had every right to do it because he's been there forever. And he was an original member. Anyway, I just, I think they're going to use the Pantera name because it just makes sense monetarily. This is the music business, people. People are like, this is a cash grab. Fuck yeah, it is. Every fucking tour is a cash grab. Unless you're, you know, just starting out and you're like, you want to get out there because you want to experience a tour. You want the joy of touring, whatever you want to call it. You know, you want to get your name out there. Of course, it's not a cash grab because you're not out there making a shitload of money. You're trying to get to that point. But no, every single tour you see of any band you've ever heard of is a cash grab. It's just at different levels. With all that being said, I hope they don't get Phil's band as the other two guys. And I don't say that negatively. Steven Taylor is Phil's guitarist. I love the guy. He's been on this podcast before. And I've seen him live. And he does a very good job of playing the Pantera of the Dimebag songs. But I think that would kind of cheapen this whole thing because that's what has already been done. Phil's been doing that with him for several years. And Rex has even joined them on stage a few times to do this. So I think if they're going to do this and they're going to call it Pantera... This, that's my caveat, if it is called Pantera, which I believe it will be. I think what Jason said, a revolving door of guitarists and drummers is a great idea. But I'd be totally fine as well if they just said, hey, Phil Dimmel and Dave Lombardo or Kerry King and Mike Portnoy, whoever is going to do this thing for the two months that we're touring this. So I understand I just rambled a hell of a lot, but it's Pantera. It's one of my favorite bands. I'm going to do that. In fact, not that long ago, a few months ago, a couple months ago, I don't even know now, episode 333, as it should be, was a just an, an episode about Pantera. I just kind of talked for a while about different things, different memories about Pantera. I don't even really remember what all I talked about right now, but and also a few years ago, me and Jason did an episode every album in a row on Pantera, which is a thing we used to do where we would separately listen to a band's catalog from start to finish in order and then get together and just talk about how all these songs and albums that we've known forever, just how they flow when you listen to them straight through. We did that with a lot of different artists, Pantera being one of those. So check that out as well. And Phil was actually on this podcast for about 30 seconds or maybe less. A few years ago as well, we had Jimmy Bauer Whenever Superjoint was in Oklahoma City, Jimmy Barry was in Superjoint. He is also in Down with Phil and Rex, who was in Down way back when. And of course, Jimmy Bauer is also very well known for I Hate God. But anyway, when we were interviewing Jimmy Bauer on the tour bus, Phil happened to walk out, made himself some coffee, then walked out again and started talking about a guy outside who looked like Pepper Keenan and all this stuff, so... There you go. I should probably stop rambling and move on to the business at hand, which would be James Durbin. So James Durbin has a brand new project that just came out. Clean Break, their debut album, came out 
this past Friday. So by the time you're hearing this, just right under a week ago, the debut album came out and Clean Break features James Durbin, of course, on vocals. It also features guitarist Mike Flintz from Riot. So there, right there, you know, you kind of know, at least, the sound that this album's going to go. You would think, at least, unless Mike's doing something a little different. But very much so, this album, with James' vocals and Mike's guitars, is very power metal-ish, as it should be. This also features the rhythm section of Striper, which is Robert Sweet on drums and Perry Richardson on bass. Perry Richardson, of course, was also well-known for being an original member of Firehouse and with them throughout the 90s. But the album Coming Home just came out this past Friday, like I said, from Frontiers. Frontiers has kind of been known in the last several years of putting together these super groups. For the most part, all the ones I've listened to, the ones I've checked out, the music's always been high quality. You know, it's got a lot of the same guys involved. We talk about Alessandro, who plays keyboards and backing vocals on a lot of these albums, and is a writer, a co-writer on a lot of this stuff. This is something you really need to check out if you like power metal. If you like heavy metal, just give it a go if you haven't heard it yet. Very cool stuff. And speaking of Mike Flintz, there's a photo up on both Facebook and Instagram from about a month ago. Riot was playing at Prog Power USA that happens every year near in Atlanta. And a friend of mine, Bill Kaiser, was out there. And he happened to get a photo of himself with Mike and Ray Adler. He happened to get a photo of himself with Mike when he was wearing a Thunder Underground shirt. So there you go. Check that one out if you haven't. But James Durbin, of course, rose to fame on American Idol. We talk a bit about that. Talk about his audition in front of Steven Tyler. Talk about his experience throughout the show. But of course, more importantly, we talk about what he's done since. He's got an album called Durbin that just came out at the beginning of last year. Heavy metal album. Great stuff. He was also in Quiet Riot there for a couple years. He's also done a lot of good stuff throughout the years. So it's very cool to see someone kind of carving out a legacy, doing different things. I'll be interested to see where else he heads throughout his career. But in the meantime, we're here to talk about Clean Break and some other stuff. So let's jump into it. Here's James Durbin. You know, with with something new, it's you don't really know what to expect. You don't know, you know. I, I also with that with something new, I do this thing where I don't set any expectation. So then, you know, regardless of what you get, you're like, oh shit, it was really good. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like it could have, you know, it's like playing a gig. You know, there, you know, you you don't know. You know, if it's like a private event or something or like, you know, I just picked up a gig. It's like, uh, oh, yeah, there's, there's there's 10 or 12 people here. All right. Well, I'm going to get a hell of a show. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's going to be 50,000. And then you show up and there's like 50. And you're like, oh, shit. Paid rehearsal, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to go home early? You know, you're talking on stage. It's like wrestlers do in the ring. They're like, oh, you want to eat at uh, Sizzler tonight? You know. You always wonder what they're talking. What are they talking about? Right. <laughs> Chili's, mm, Applebee's. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how the band came together. I know some of these super groups. You know, it usually starts with one person. Were you the first one approached, or how did the process go about? Yeah. So when I signed with Frontiers in December of 2019, the original idea was for me to do a solo album, which ended up being Durban, The Beast Awakens, and uh, and then shortly after that, we would do a, uh, a full band super group, you know, for lack of a better word. And so I was always attached to it uh, very early on. I think just immediately after was uh, Robert Sweet and uh, and Perry Richardson, um, who are 
both from Striper, uh, who are also on Frontiers. So then the the black sheep, if you will, uh, was Mike Flint uh, from Riot, Riot 5. Uh, he is not with Frontiers, but it was just kind of like the perfect missing piece. Because we listened to other guitar players and had some other people in mind. Um, but then Mike just, he's, he's so underrated and uh, underappreciated, uh, really. Um, just his, his take on where he goes with solos is just, uh, it's something special to listen to. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, especially for a guy that's been playing that genre that you guys are doing for now 30 plus years, you can't really go wrong and doing it at such a high level with Riot, you know, so that's an awesome fit and everything on the album sounds amazing coming from him and everybody. Thank you. Yeah. On, on behalf of Mike. Thank you. <laughs> right. You said everybody at the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't want to just say for Mike, you know, and say oh, yeah, talking for to sure. you here, you know. <laughs> Oh, Mike's playing was killer. Perry, Robert, yeah, <laughs> solid. Yeah, I mean, for say someone listening to this that hasn't obviously haven't heard the album yet because it didn't come out till July, but do you think the two singles are a good indication of what fans can expect? I think so. It gets heavier. It definitely gets heavier. There's um, oh gosh, um, yeah, it gets heavier. <laughs> There's some heavier. There's also some more um melodic i don't know it's it's uh, yeah i feel like it's a good a good indication coming home is pretty heavy clean break is a little bit more of the melodic uh side to it but still there i don't know it's it's uh the cool thing about what i love about metal is that it doesn't have to be one thing like i was at the gym this morning and i was listening to uh i was listening to judas priest and um what was i listening to I got to find it because it was I was like, this is it's it's all different. You know, it's not just one thing. Yeah. All the time. Maybe maybe I can't find it. But um, yeah, it was, you know, one song's really fast and then super metal. And the other one's like, oh, like um, relevant pop artist could do this now and it would be a pop hit. You know, it's it's. That works for Judas Priest. Um, right. I don't know if it works for everybody, but there's definitely that that element of it, of element of pop. Oh, oh damn it. I said it. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but I said it. Uh, bringing pop into it, pop, that pop sensibility. I mean, that the, the point of, I don't know, not the point, but uh, a point of songwriting, depending on what kind of songs you're trying to write, is a hook, a melody. And you want that melody to stick. You want that hook. That's why they call it a hook. <laughs> you want it to stick, you know. Um, you want to catch them with it. So it's it's making it familiar, but, you know, enjoyable, hopefully. Um, and And, but also something that catches your ear, like, oh, there's that extra thing in there what's that like I've, i feel like i've heard something like this maybe but because there's only 12 fucking notes but uh can i swear yes oh there's only 12 yeah. fucking notes and <laughs> and uh, yeah, fucking notes man um there's only 12 of them 12 fucking notes uh and and you know there's always going to be something that you're like oh it sounds like this but um you know think of how many songs have been written you've probably only listened to like two percent of the songs that have been written or released or ever if that probably not probably a percentage yeah <laughs> I, cons I consume so much music every single day and most of it is stuff that i've never heard before and will never hear again <laughs> right <laughs> yeah speaking of the totally random subject i saw that like a couple years ago someone put out some kind of extension you could add to spotify to where it was some kind of it, it would you could like hit it and it would play a song that's never been played by anybody on oh, Spotify. Weird. Oh, that's like cool. if someone put a song up on there and it hadn't got any plays, it'll only play <laughs> yeah. stuff that you're technically the first person to hear on Spotify. <laughs> wow, that person got a one thousandth of a penny <laughs> right. for that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Good for them. Yeah. And they're hey, now they're a real musician, you know, a real money making <laughs> musician. Yeah. But speaking of melodic and all that, some of my favorite tracks from this album kind of fit into that vein, like before the fall and dream forever and the pain of goodbye. Like, thank you. What are, what are the, some of the songs that have the most significance to you on this album? Oh, um, I wrote, 
I wrote Before the Fall and Clean Break 100%. And okay. then Dream Forever, I wrote the uh, melodies and lyrics. Um, and so like those, the, mainly, mainly those, it's got to be the ones you wrote because uh, yeah. they, they come from a real place. Uh, but I, I like to do this thing that um, that you, is very prevalent in metal is taking, you know, personal things and wrapping them up in dragons and wizards and shit, uh, which is my favorite part. If you could only see the other side of my studio, it's all <laughs> weird. Uh, <laughs> Thor's hammer and a sword and um, all sorts of stuff. So like, I just, I don't know for the earlier part of my songwriting music career, if, if we'll call it that um, uh, post American idol, a lot of songs it was kind of like focused on this like i'm the outcast i'm the victim i'm the you know all that all that kind of stuff so it was very like i have a song called issues i've got issues i've got scars and their colors are just like yours you know like very like that kind of we're all freaks let's all be losers together that sort of thing and and i i just got really sick of it so I feel like I outgrew it and I aged out of it. I aged out of my emo phase and, <laughs> you know, and, and was like, all right, well, now that I'm not working for those labels and having to make those kinds of things, I found myself independent and was like, oh, what do I want to do? And so I started to like progress into the mystical and the metal and it was a slow burn because um, there was also other things uh inspiring me at the same time so but it's it, it's really like it's reached its destination it's it's still it's boarding a magical vessel at that destination to go to another destination <laughs> but it's it's reached its uh it's its first destination and I, I feel really at home uh with my metal these days well you mentioned the writing and the songs you had wrote were a lot of the songs collaborations between the other guys, or was it all written before you guys brought in Mike and Perry and Robert, or how did that all go? Before the fall and clean break were written uh, before anybody was really involved. Um, and then actually, I feel like it's also kind of the same with dream forever. Maybe Perry and Robert were involved, but I don't think that either of them uh, contributed songwriting. Uh, Mike Flint did contribute to one or two songs and then the rest of them was uh, Alessandro Del Vecchio uh, who produced the album and uh, it's just a phenomenal songwriter and uh, he just writes songs all day and produces incredibly sounding <laughs> works of musical <laughs> art and and it just there's no stopping it like every it seems like every day there's a new uh album or single coming out from frontiers and yeah. and 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 he's at the helm of like 90 percent of them i don't know when this man sleeps <laughs> i don't know he's just a machine an italian well-built machine yeah i, that, I mean that <laughs> I says know. a lot about him because most everything i've ever heard from frontiers is high quality you know in all the stuff that's been coming out the last few years yeah, I, I couldn't wait to work with Alessandro. Uh, I had played with him once uh, in Italy when I was with Quiet Riot and we did uh, Thunderbird for the first time live with uh, with keyboards, uh, I think ever. Uh, there may have been one other time in like the 70s with uh, with Randy or no, with uh, Debro when uh, Kevin stopped Quiet Riot and then had uh, just Debro. Um, yeah. He wrote the song for Randy Rhodes when he, not when he passed away, but when he left quiet riot to go uh be ozzy's guitar player he wrote thunderbird so doing it that's where i met alessandro in italy and uh yeah just had always heard stuff of his he did some stuff um some mastering eqing and levels and stuff for um my solo album durbin the beast awakens and uh just like man let's do something else and that kind of like got the like i said it was already the plan to do this album and most likely he was going to be at the helm of it but you know it just kind of like pushed that pushed it along a little quicker what was the kind of the idea to get both perry and robert both in there like to have you know built-in chemistry from two guys have been playing together a while um i don't you know for me personally i don't know if that was my intention it was kind of i don't know the label was basically like 
showed me like Perry and Robert from Striper. <laughs> yeah, your name? Like I was like, oh fuck yeah. Of course. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> These guys play together too. And for a bass player and a drummer to have that like coexisting on that same plane and having done so like on the regular, that's perfect because they're completely locked into each other. You know, they, they don't they don't call uh, Robert Sweet the visual timekeeper for nothing. Speaking of Striper, like I've always heard a little bit of Michael Sweet in your voice. Was that a band you grew up in as an influence or anything? No, I've no. always heard that as well. I've okay. <laughs> I've always heard that. Um Michael Sweet, Jeff Tate, um uh okay. I don't know what else, a little a little bit of Dio and uh, a lot of Halford. Um yeah. that's 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 what I've always heard. So I mean I I I definitely grew up listening to Striper uh, among all of the 80s stuff that I was listening to. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know, it's really, it's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> Just getting to work with them. I mean, we didn't get to record anything together. We all recorded remotely. I recorded here, right here. Okay. That's where I recorded everything in my chair. <laughs> I recorded this album sitting down. Um, uh, the whole thing, yeah. Um, is that something you normally do, or was this the first time? It was, I don't know, it was kind of the first time. Um, I don't know, there's like a I'm comfortable, but there's also like tension because I'm sitting. Um, I feel like I, I push a little bit more. Um, and and I don't know, I just I get a different quality of vocal, uh, than even live or standing or any of that. So it's I don't know. There's like, I don't know. Maybe I'm lazy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't, maybe I don't like moving the mic stand up, you know, to like get to a nice level. And then I got to like stand over here and then I got to like reach over to the mouse and like, and the keyboard. I mean, wireless. I could easily put them somewhere else on top of an amp or something, but then I got to crane my neck to look at the screen. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, I go right here. I bring this even a little bit more over here and I just look at my screen and then I wow and project it and like, you know, can work very like, I don't know. It's that remote working. It's, it's easy. I don't know, it's fun. It's enjoyable. And uh, anything to make, um, you know, when, when music, when you love music, this could, be, this could be anything when you love something and you would just, it would mean everything to you to be able to do that for a living. And then you do that for a living. And then 10, uh, you know, three years goes by, five years goes by, seven years and 10 years and 11 and however many years it is uh, after the fact, it's like, you want to be happy. You want to be positive. You want to be having a good time, you know, and you just get to those points where you're like, am I having a good time? Is this fun? If it's not, I can fully do whatever the fuck I want because, uh, you know, I'm just playing music. You know, if, if I want to join a band, if I want to start a band, if I just want to take my guitar and go somewhere, if I want to sit down and record an album of, of metal songs leisurely, you know, like <laughs> elbow on a piano and, uh, you know, a joint in the other hand. It's like, yeah, here we are. Just recording a record, you know, um, you know, uh, then why not? It makes you happy and it's enjoyable and relaxing then by all means right. get, it, get it get it don't torture yourself don't put yourself through hell for right. a reason am i having fun no fuck it let's go let's go have fun well speaking of your vocals like how did you say during the pandemic where there was less chances to play out live i mean you recorded your durban album and everything but like what did you do to keep your voice active you know since you got such a you know, wide ranging voice. I assume you've got to keep it going throughout those times. I mean, I've, I've, I kind of just am always singing, but I'm not, I don't know. I, I put it on when I have to, if I have to perform or even do an interview. Um, sometimes I'm much more animated and, and putting it on extra and I'm, I'm trying not to do that. Um, it's kind of like that urge, that instinct. Uh. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's iced coffee in a joint. It's like, ah, it's like competing medications. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, I don't know through, through the pandemic. I mean, like I said, like I signed with frontiers and end of 2019, December. And, um, 
started figuring out what I wanted to write an album about. I had, you know, didn't necessarily have time on my side because there are deadlines when you have to deliver an album by. Um, uh, they don't pay you and just give you, you know, here, take more rope, take more rope. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the more, what is it? The more rope you have, the easier it is to hang yourself. Um, right. And so I found myself in a pandemic at home with a guitar, not necessarily feeling like the greatest guitar player and never having been a riff rider. Um, but the words of uh, Rich Ward from Fozzie echo in my head of um, Durbin, you're a hell of a guitar player. He told me, he's like, you're a great rhythm guitar player. You're like, you've got great chops. You've got great feel, you know, um, don't underestimate yourself. And it was like unsolicited, like, Rich, why are you? giving me advice but this feels <laughs> nice it's it's like you knew i needed this and that was even like a year and a half a year and a half maybe a year and a half before i started working on the durbin album and it, it really like i don't know it just changed something in me to be like you can do whatever the hell you can do like it's the only thing that's standing between you and that is you you know there's there's nothing in the way of that it's just practice it's trying it's effort it's failing it's it's a uh, you know uh all that all that goes with it but i had originally had this idea that i was going to work with a bunch of songwriters and co-write and like craft this like collection of songs kind of like what what we have here um but then the pandemic and i was just like you know fuck it i've got this guitar i've got logic I've got ideas. I don't need to give these ideas to somebody else and hope that they come up with something better. Um, and then uh, what if they come up with something that doesn't really fit it? And then I'm stuck with a shitty song after having a good idea, you know, that, that c it could go both ways. It, it always can. Um, more often than not, you're going to write an okay or a good song. And it's very seldom that uh, the great one pops out, you know, if you write so many like that. Um, and so I was really intentional about my writing and I didn't record something unless I thought that it actually had legs. And I started crafting this idea in my head for what became Durban and what became the beast awakens, um, which was in the inspired by a, a, a article that I read about a, um, a Japanese wrestler called Jushin Thunder Liger. And he had an alter ego called Kieran Liger that Jushin Thunder Liger, if you're familiar or not, he wears a mask a famous Japanese wrestler. And, um, you know, when you get your mask removed, it's the ultimate show of disrespect that you can do if you remove somebody's mask because you would be humiliating the man underneath. But what Liger's opponent didn't know that the mask was not protecting the man underneath. The mask was, uh, it was, um, protecting you know the opponent from the monster within so when you reveal the mask he's like this you know half dead looking guy and then he tries to drive a metal stake into the heart of his opponent he always misses you know it usually <laughs> goes through a table or a turnbuckle but um yeah it's uh just that that idea that under the mask you're hiding you know it's not the man it's the monster and so that's the beast awakening is me removing my mask you know, I sang for a band, you know, whose logo was a mask for, for, <laughs> for a few years. So me removing that mask and being like, oh, who am I without this? Because I've been doing this and I've been attaching my identity to this. And so like, who am I? Who am I? If I'm making metal, if I'm making my own music, where does that lie? Where does that lie? Is it something like this? Is it completely different? Um, and so it kind of started with that. That was like that first seed of that. Um, the first real song that I wrote for that album and everything just kind of like fell around that. Like, Oh, I want to go more mystical. I want to go more D and I want to go more Tolkien. I want to go more rolling. I want to, you know, get into that Dio and that priest and that maiden. And I listened to sad wings of destiny religiously. And I listened to defenders of the faith and I listened to um, Holy diver last in line and sacred heart you know, and, and really like figuring out like where that all came from and going back further and listening to the, all the 
Black Sabbath records and then listening to Sir Lord Baltimore and Lucifer's Friend and like early pre-metal, pre-doom stuff and like trying to like figure out like, okay, well, metal was formed with these like archaic sounds, these like what cavemen metal, you know, and bringing it back to that is like, if you can have a, it's simple to the ear, but that's what's most, that's where the earworm comes from. You know, it's simple to the ear, but it's repetitive enough that it's catchy enough that it stays with you. You know, again, that like, well, that sounds like something, but you know, it's, I, I know that, but it's, it's different, you know, and it stays with you. So just being able to do that um, was all because of the pandemic, <laughs> but I, you know, after I had finished that record, I started doing this thing called the, uh, I remembered what your question was. I was rambling till it came back to me and uh, sorry. Um, and, and, uh, but there, you know, there's meat there. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a long rack of ribs. Uh, God, I could go for some ribs right now. Um, same here yeah shit, <laughs> not if the bone's too soggy you know i mean the, the bone needs to not move when i bite into it but the meat right. needs to fall off um but <laughs> i i started doing these things called a like a backyard tour and i'd play in people's backyard socially distanced backyard uh james durbin unplugged acoustic tour and uh it took me up to oregon a couple times and and um, just had some really good gigs and some really good uh, voiceover work uh, throughout the pandemic that we were able to buy a house like in the pandemic in 2020, we bought a house, uh, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, uh, um, yeah, <laughs> like my most successful year in like three years <laughs> after being in a nationally international touring band, um, my most successful year out of all those years was in a pandemic. <laughs> weird i don't know it's it's weird I, you know yeah it's very strange life <laughs> life <Who knew>? right. <laughs> well i saw you you just announced that you got your first uh durbin show coming up in august yes. where you're going to be playing the beast awakens so it's finally yes gonna be finally getting a, a chance to do this seriously after two years um yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm i'm really pumped I'm really really pumped we're playing a show i'm playing a show at durbin uh the beast awakens in San Francisco. Um, and, uh, yeah, with enough's enough, um, who is also on frontiers, um, and, uh, and nerd Halen, uh, fronted by a comedian actor, Hal Sparks. So pretty stoked for that. It's, it's going to be a party. If you're out in San Francisco, tickets are available now, August 26th. It's a Friday, 21 plus, I think advanced tickets are 17 plus like a $5 <laughs> booking charge or like 20 at the door. I think <laughs> without a booking charge. Hey. Right. I don't know. You weigh your options. You know, you're like, Oh, is it going to sell out? And you know, whatever you're end up paying the sand. <laughs> it's a convenience charge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You always yeah, got to wonder what's the convenient about this extra charge, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Exactly. The inconvenience charge. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if we were mentioned, uh, we're playing at bottom of the hill. Um, okay. uh, classic vintage uh retro venue in san francisco <laughs> super stoked for it very very pumped with the schedules of clean break it's probably hard to do shows but is that something you guys are hoping to do a show here or there in the future i definitely hope so it's definitely on my radar um my dream is to do a show with clean break um with skills which is a uh, another frontiers super group fronted by Reen and zonta on vocals and uh and then also iconic fronted by uh nathan james on vocals and yeah. uh, the cool thing about iconic is that it has michael sweet in it you know and yeah. and, and tommy aldridge and and um uh joel hoekstra and marco mendoza i think that's the lineup for that one and then yeah. uh skills i don't know everybody that's in it renan and brad gillis i know um i can't think of who else is in it but anyway i'd love to do love 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 to do a show with uh with all three bands and then you know they bring oz fox out and then they do a striper set a short striper set at the end because then everybody do there you know oz got left out sorry oz (laughs) well i guess between love and respect for (laughs) we want you there you've probably been asked this question a billion times throughout the years but on American Idol, like what was like going through your head when you're singing Dream On in front of Steven Tyler? Was that like nerve wracking? I mean, it didn't look like you were nervous, oh. but it, I mean, it didn't. No, I'm, I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
it was it was just it was i'd say it was something else um steven would say it was everything else um <laughs> but yeah just to to be in that moment i mean i was so freaked out um i was lined up the crazy thing is i was lined up and it was there was one other person next in line and then me to sing in front of the judges and i'm sitting there behind this curtain like right behind the room where the judges are and you can hear the other people singing and and uh getting their verdict and um then they after that person finished singing again there was somebody right before me and then me um the producers called for lunch and at that moment they said hold and jennifer lopez walks right by like waves i'm like hold for lunch and there's jennifer and i was literally just listening to on my flip phone um a little video that i had recorded you know it sounded like like super like static <laughs> and fucked up and it was of aerosmith it was of steven tyler it was this vocal warm-up that i was doing um uh and had been doing and just kind of like this mantra and uh and I, I had just been listening to it and then out through that same curtain walks steven tyler and randy jackson just shooting the shit and my jaw hit the floor it was only replicated by uh you know being on idol and hulk hogan coming out um <laughs> uh yeah i was just like oh my god what what's happening you know this and and it's it's great that it did happen because i think i probably would have like fainted or like been shaking so much that i couldn't perform so to have that precursor of like you know that that buffer of like okay you got it out of the way that you met steven tyler and randy jackson now you're good you got that off your chest the funny thing is after that and things happened steven grabbed saw the look on my face oh look at that smile man look at you look at you he comes over and he grabs my arm and i only had like two tattoos at the time he's like oh man that's fucking beautiful man that's wow what what's that say what's that say i was like oh it's hunter it's my son's name it's like oh god man that's beautiful he starts slapping it like it's fresh you know like he's <laughs> trying to fuck with me um and then i happen to say something to randy because we know uh people um and he was like oh yeah dog tell him hi man and so i go back to uh where my my wife uh, the mother of my children uh before we were married we were just engaged and we sat in the like holding room and the, started off in the morning and it was just packed, you know? And then by that point it was like towards the end of the day and it was pretty thinned out. So it was just us kind of sitting there and talking. She's sitting on my lap and out of the corner of my eye, you know, like when you feel like someone's watching you out yeah. of the corner of my eye, I, I look over and no shit. I see Steven Tyler peeking around a, a fucking wall like this. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> just like cooing <laughs> cooing and watching me and my wife uh while she sits on my lap he's just kind of like checking out scoping the scene you know <laughs> scoping the scene trying to get weird or something I don't know. right <laughs> well speaking of i mean american idol like to where you're at now a lot of you know metal fans historically are kind of talked down on stuff like shows like that but i think like throughout the past few years i see I always see people praising you, which is a good thing. So, I mean, have you noticed that, that like you've kind of brought people around your side that might've blown it off at first because you were on American Idol? Or Definitely. You, yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I've, I've met people that have defected, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've gotten that uh, to happen. Uh, most notably, I've Dave Grohl, uh, Dave Grohl randomly. Cause I've heard him, you know, bash idol and in, in press and stuff and, and just, you know, say, uh, his thoughts on it and then i met him at a uh, autism function uh, that we both played and um i got to walk up and say hi and he's like james fucking durbin american idol heavy metal dude my wife and i we watched and voted for you with our daughters and i'm just like <laughs> huh? uh, all right wow this is crazy and he started telling me this story about uh, he was in Santa Cruz with this band of his and, and passing through and they stayed at someone's house and ate a bunch of spaghetti and smoked a bunch of weed. And then he was going to finish the story and he, he got whisked away. And then I met him a couple months later at the American Music Awards. And same thing. We started to rehash that story, um, hash intended. And uh, and 
he gets whisked away again. And then my, I got his book for Christmas, uh, Storyteller, and uh, in it is the Santa Cruz story. So he finally, uh, wow. finally <laughs> finished the story. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I know we got to wrap this up, but I just wanted to make one comment based off your shirt. I'm really interested to see how this MJF thing plays out. I absolutely love that guy. So <laughs> I thought it was a work. I don't think it's a work anymore. I think that they gave him a live mic and I think that he did what he did with it. And that was kind of his, uh, his ta-ta. I'm still leaning towards it. It's a work, but you know, I'm starting to, yeah, <laughs> lean towards your view there as well. So <laughs> yeah. Cause like, as soon as, you know, Warner Warner media was like, remove everything of him from the, from content remove it from the intro package remove his merch remove his you know image from the roster page it's like there's there's like and there's he hasn't done anything on social media hasn't shown up anywhere else hasn't put out his own videos hasn't started like a youtube thing you know like at first people were like oh it's like a it's like a loose cannon brian pillman sort of thing um equating it to that like oh he's just gonna start showing up places and being a you know psycho and and um (laughs) Yeah, I think it was just like this big kaboom. And I think like, I don't know. I don't I don't know what's going on. You know, I've I've been in situations where I, I feel like I'm not getting everything that I feel like I deserve, but that's also a really dangerous territory, you know, to feel like you deserve anything. Because, yeah. you know, there's always someone better than you at something, right. if not everything. And that's good to believe in yourself and believe in, you know, your worth. But, you know, you can't, as we saw with Cody, even if you're a fucking VP of the company, a EVP, you know, even if you're co-owner of the company that you are wrestling for, um, you know, it's, it's, you can still not get everything that you're, you know, feel like you deserve and, and walk. So I don't, I don't know. It's, it's tough to say it's, it's strange that like they were in LA you know, uh, Max said something on the on the mic about, um, you know, there being executives there and yeah. it being a big night for them. And then just like the sw- how swift the action was to remove him right after he stopped. There was no mention of what just happened from the commentary team with Wardlow on 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 Dynamite and Rampage. There's been no mention of MJF since yeah. then. They've just it's they've been wadded. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he, he, yeah, he, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and he's a hell of a talent, but you know, there's, there's also that thing of um, your age working against you. Like he's brilliant. He knows what he's doing, but I don't know. There's, there's things that the, the greatest thing that comes with age and experience and fucking up is wisdom. And that's, you know, it, it, it can't be bought or sold. So it's, uh, it, it has to be earned um and found so we'll see absolutely we'll see i enjoy it <laughs> enjoy it either way it was a hell of a promo yeah same here all right man well the clean break album's excellent i appreciate you taking the time with me today absolutely thank you for having me look forward all to right. doing it again there you go james durbin of clean break a huge thank you to john freeman of freeman promotions and of course a massive thank you to james durbin for taking some time out there to talk to me on zoom for a bit very cool, easy guy to talk to, you know. I don't know if you can kind of tell. I mean, there was times where it just felt like a regular conversation, which I feel like those are always, those are always the best ones where it doesn't sound like question, answer, question, answer. It sounds more, a little more natural. So thanks, James, for being a, a cool dude. We also, you know, he spoke about wrestling there a couple times. And he was also wearing a, I, I mentioned it, I believe, there at the end before I brought up NJF, but. When I was talking to him there on Zoom, he was wearing an AEW shirt, so that's why I brought that up. And if you're not a wrestling fan, all of that means nothing to you. So, anyway, once again, check out Clean Break's debut album, Coming Home. came out this past week. And, of course, check out the Durban album if you have not. If it's your first time listening, I really appreciate it. There's 350 episodes previous to this that you can check out. Just last week, Frank Hannon from Tesla return to this podcast for the fourth time so you can check out three episodes with Frank Cannon and then the fourth time he was on here was the Eddie Van Halen tribute which was a huge thing three and a half hours and we had 14 guests on it featured Mark Slaughter Frank Cannon Paige Hamilton of Helmet 
Mitch Perry, Chris Heinlein of the Midnight Devils, Jim Wilson of Motor Sister. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but tons of great artists on that one. James is a big fan of Judas Priest and Rob Halford. But one, there was a point in time where Rob Halford left Judas Priest and Tim Ripper Owens joined and made two albums. Tim Ripper Owens has been on this podcast. That's why I mentioned that. We've also had on D. Snyder, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Gene Simmons of Kiss, Bruce Kulik, Bruce Kulik formerly of Kiss, Dave Ellison has been on here twice, formerly of Megadeth, James Lomenzo, who is now back in Megadeth, has been on here before. Chris Broderick, formerly of Megadeth, has also been here. I've had on guys from, well, I mentioned Perry Richardson from Firehouse as part of Clean Break. Bill Leverty from Firehouse has been on this podcast. We've also had on members of Clutch, Corrosion and Conformity, Typo Negative, Prong, Lillian Axe, Buck Cherry, Skillet, Nelson, um, Life of Agony. Shooter Jennings has been on here. Lots of great artists, so check it all out. Dig back through there. We've also got lots of great stuff coming up. I was going to mention this at the beginning of the show because I was excited, then I just forgot because I got wrapped up in what I was talking about, but I just recorded one with Michael Monroe. Of course, the vocalist from Hanoi Rocks, and has had an amazing solo career since the late 80s as well. That was a huge honor, and I'm so glad to be able to say that's happened. So that episode will be coming soon. I've also got one coming up with John Waite. Yes, that John Waite. Very cool. We've got one coming up with Anthony Apello from Six Gun Sal, Del Lytle from Angelus, and I think that, yes, also Jeff Buner, who was the vocalist for the Loyal Order is going to be on here. The guitarist from the Loyal Order, I can't say that too fast, the Loyal Order, Brandon Cook, who was also the guitarist for Black and Blue, was on this podcast a couple years ago as well. So dig back through there. You can listen directly on the website, thethunderunderground.com, pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, MixCloud, all that crap. Wherever you're listening, follow, like, subscribe, whatever, so you don't miss future episodes. If you Follow us on our socials. That's all of them. Anytime you see a post or a tweet or something, follow, like, comment, retweet, whatever it allows you to do, because that really helps, and I'd really appreciate it. All right. Once again, a huge thank you to DEB Concerts, Med Farm, Sunset Tattoo, Freeman Promotions, and James Durbin. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground, y'all.